In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, the past several Sundays, you've heard sermons that were uh, essentially practical. That is, they were exhortations on how you're supposed to live as a Christian, namely to be thankful and to not worry. Uh, But today, this sermon is not about how to live, but how to die. And I know it's not something we like to think about, something we want to oftentimes uh, put in the back of our mind or uh, ignore until the day comes. But uh, as Christians, we don't do that. We face it. Uh, And to do this and to teach on death, I'll draw three points from the gospel lesson and then expound upon them. Now, before I make the first point, I want to remind you something that's very simple and obvious, that death is inevitable, that we as an entire world uh, have solved so many problems. We've invented airplanes that move hundreds of people, thousands of feet in the air uh, at 700 some miles an hour and get them from one place to another safely. Uh, We built spaceships that land us on the moon and other planets. We've invented the, the internet, smartphones, medicines, and all sorts of technology. We have made advances in every single field of study, all of them. And with all of this, we've made absolutely no progress, not even a hair's breadth, to solving death. Not even close. There are no improvements. Now, fine, we can alleviate pain or give the appearance of lengthening days for uh, our, our days for a few hours or days. But in the end, it's nothing. It is nothing. In the grand scheme of things, that adds nothing. In a hundred years, even the youngest one among us today will be lifeless in the grave. That is how it's been. That is how it will be. The wages of sin is death. Sinners die. And our life is spent making the most of these days because we know in the back of our minds, deep down in our heart, that these days are going to end. In fact, all of the worry that we have about riots, about sickness, disease, inflation, the economy, war, all of this is because we see and we know that these things bring death. Now, against all of this, look at how Jesus treats death. Look at the gospel lesson. He treats it like nothing. (laughs) He just happened to see this woman walking and grieving over her dead son. He happened to, their, their paths happened to cross that day. He didn't schedule this, he didn't plan this out. And while everyone is mourning in that town, in the town of Nain, Jesus walks to the dead boy like he's only asleep. Something that the world cannot solve. We're not even close to solving or or fixing. Jesus walks over to him like he's only sleeping, like he's waking up a teenager who slept in. And he resurrects him from the dead with his voice alone. And the first point is this, is that if this is how Jesus considers death, like nothing, then we should consider it in the same way. The world loses their minds over death, but not us not Christians. I'm not saying we can't cry or mourn or weep. Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus, but we don't mourn like those who have no hope because Jesus conquered death. Because of this, we should be prepared to die always. The truth is we should prepare ourselves daily. Every single morning, every single night, we should be prepared to say, this may be my final day. 
In, in fact, Christian parents would teach this to their children <clears throat> many years ago. And maybe some of you know this prayer and maybe some of you still pray this today. Uh, you prayed something like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And the point is, is that we should go to sleep each night as if we were going to die. So that when we approach our death, when we do, it's as if we're only going to sleep. In fact, this is why Christians named the graveyard cemeteries. It's Latin for the sleeping place. They said this is temporary. It's coming from this text, from, from, uh, from, the, from the gospel lesson, that Jesus treats death like sleep. Um, so it's only temporary that death is nothing to Jesus and it is no powerful. Um, death is no more powerful over you than sleep is, according to the Lord. Now, I want to make one comment here before moving on. Uh, and this is that people have asked me, they said, well, how? How can I not be afraid of death? Because this is the, the thing everybody panics about. Everybody's anxious about this. I know. Well, you do it by trusting that Jesus has conquered death through his own death and resurrection. You, tr- you put your faith and you rely and you confide upon what Jesus did on the cross for you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says, <clears throat> Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? And that should be the text that comforts you. Uh, think about it this way. Imagine that I... Uh, pulled out a, uh, a cobra or a king cobra, which is one of the most deadliest, uh, most venomous snakes in the world. The, the venom is so painful and paralyzing and it causes almost instant death. Now, regardless of whether you like snakes or not, you have a legitimate reason to be afraid. What are you afraid of? The venom. <laughs> the, the venom that is in his, if that gets in you, it's over. Right? Now, one bite from the snake is going to paralyze you and kill you. <clears throat> now, now imagine that I hand you the snake, but I found a way to somehow surgically remove the venom from its body. Uh, it's still the same snake, um, and you're not going to like it. Uh, not many people do. Snakes are gross. They're very disgusting creatures. Uh, you may not like the texture, the appearance, or the feeling of it, and it's repugnant. But the thing that you should be afraid of is no longer there. So when the the, the snake does bite, the venom isn't there. Uh, The snake, no matter how hard it tries, cannot kill you. And so the real reason to be afraid is now gone. He can inflict pain. He can injure you. But it's not lethal. And that is what it's like when Jesus says he has removed the sting of death. The real reason to fear death, the the, the reason anybody was afraid of death, anybody should be afraid of death, is because death was the way to hell. Death was the way to eternal condemnation. And Jesus removed that. And he removed that. And now death is no longer a way to hell, but it is now the way to heaven. So death may inflict pain and grief, but it won't destroy you. So that's how we ought to view death. We say, yes, the, the, it's like a snake that lost its venom or a force that has no more power over me. Um, okay, <clears throat> so all of that was the first point. Now, uh, the, that we are to view death the way Jesus does. But the next two points are what your funeral should be like. 
So the first way is how you view death, how you prepare for it yourself, and how you live uh, uh, your life according to it. But the next two points are going to be how your funeral should be, which means you won't be awake for that part. This will be for the funeral. This will be for everybody else who's here. Uh, so this, the second point I'm making is this, that when Jesus showed up to the funeral, he became the central figure of that account. It wasn't the crowd. It wasn't the boy. It wasn't the grieving widow and th- th- that mother. It was Jesus. The text says this. It says, after Jesus raised him from the dead, fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And this report of him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. They, what they came away from this moment, from this account, was Jesus. And this means that if Jesus is the central figure and name of that funeral, then the central figure and name of your funeral is not going to be you or your family or your friends or your loved ones, but Jesus. The person talked about most at your funeral will be the Lord. A number of you have told me that you've gone to funerals and that you've come back uh, frustrated or disappointed because you heard nothing about Christ and him crucified. Uh, You've been to funerals where the preacher didn't even mention, he did not even mention Jesus. Uh, That is not how it will go at your funeral. Um, If you die as a member of this church, as long as I'm your pastor, as long as you have a faithful pastor to the word, the sermon I preach on that day will not simply be about you and all the stuff that you have done, but it will be about Jesus and the stuff he has done for you, the things he did to redeem you. And as God lives, that is who your funeral will be about, the God who took on flesh, who conquered death, and who forgave you. I will tell everyone at your funeral, when you were a helpless little infant, Jesus came to you and washed away your sins. And I will tell everyone how Sunday after Sunday you came here and Jesus fed you with his body and his blood. And that how you sat in the seat that you've picked to sit for the rest of your time here at Zion. And for some reason people do that and they don't change spots, but I don't get it. But that's what people do. And I will say that's where you sat. That's where he sat. That's where she sat. Uh, And I will tell people how much you loved the Lord and how much you loved hearing that the Lord loved you. And I will tell your family and your friends and your loved one how you woke up early each Sunday. You drove long distances to come to church. You put nothing else before him, not your health, not your money, not anything in your life because you love the Lord. And your funeral will be about Jesus and his deep love for you. He will be the main person at your funeral. He will be the main, the chief figure, the chief person that people come away talking about is the Lord. I know this, and you know this, but the question is, does your family know this? Do they know how that that, that, that is how your, fa- how your funeral is going to go? Do your friends know that? And do your children know that? Do they know that your funeral is not going to be about you? Do they know that it's not going to be about you, but the Lord? Do they know that I'm not going to talk about the person who died, but I'm going to talk about the person who died for you? 
More often than not, I'll, I'll meet, I'll, I'll visit with a family to prepare for the funeral service. Uh, and and uh, uh, many times they'll say something like, well, what are you going to say about my mom? What are you going to say about my dad? What are you going to say about my sister, my brother, my friend? What stories will you say? But I don't think I've ever heard anyone ask me, what are you going to say about Jesus? What are you going to say about what he did? What are you going to say about what he accomplished for me? Uh, and, and that is the right question. That's what you should be asking. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to move on to the third and final point. Um, don't get too excited because this is the longest point. Uh, we're only about halfway through. So, okay. Uh, the third point is this, is that Jesus takes the body seriously. Uh, when, he drew, uh, when he drew near, uh, the scriptures say, he came up and he touched the beer and the bears stood still. Uh, the beer is not a casket. It's not covered. It doesn't have walls. It's like a plank of wood and the body is set above it and it's carried so that everybody could see this. Everybody could see the corpse there. Uh, nowadays, we hide the body from sight as much as possible. It's, it's just uh, an American thing we do. But uh, so when the scriptures say that Jesus touches this, uh, it, it, he's, he's touching where that person is. In fact, he's probably touching the boy himself. And notice that Jesus doesn't say, well, you know, he doesn't tell the mother, well, stop weeping because this isn't really him. This is just a shell of him. Or, you know what, just discard the body. Let's have a celebration of life. Let's focus on something else. He goes directly to that beer, to, directly to that boy, and he touches that. And he takes the body seriously. And then he speaks to it. So uh, with this, I have to clarify a misconception that a number of Christians have for some reason. And that's that uh, we don't, as Christians, believe in the preexistence of the soul. Uh, this is a Mormon and a Gnostic idea. Uh, they believe that God created the soul, uh, that it's the first thing he creates, and then the body is like an afterthought, like a, like a robe or something you just wear temporarily. And so when the body is dead, then the soul, which was the most important part, is free and then roams around or, or goes to, to heaven. We don't believe that. And neither do we believe what the Hindus do, that is, that the soul jumps around from body to body as if the body does not matter, but the soul is the thing that, that is essential. Um, like it's wearing something like clothing or using it like a vehicle. We're Christians, and we believe that the soul has one body and that the body has one soul, that they were created together. When you were in your mother's womb, God knit you together, body and soul. And that means God created your soul for your unique body and distinct face and body type and everything that you have right now. This means, the point I'm getting at, is that your body is not a part of you. Your body is you. The Lord created you, your soul, and your body together. They're one. Now, it's true. It is true that for a brief time, your body and soul will separate in death. And that is the definition of death according to the scriptures. That they're going to be ripped apart, that your body will be lifeless, and your soul will continue living, but it will be without your body. Uh, but that is abnormal. And that is unnatural. It's not, that's not the norm. That's not how it's supposed to be. So no matter how many times people will say it, death isn't natural. And it's not a normal part of life. The separation of the body and the soul is profoundly awful and unnatural. And that means that the goal 
Uh, listen closely. The goal of the Christian life is not to die and go to heaven and be some disembodied spirit floating in the clouds. The goal of the Christian life is to die and resurrect. The word resurrection comes from uh, the Greek word uh, anastasis, uh, which is where we get the name Anastasia. It means literally to stand up again. That's what it means in your flesh. And that means that the goal of the Christian life is that, and we confess this every Sunday in the creed, we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come in that body. Um, death is the separation of the body and the soul, and the resurrection is the undoing of death. It's the re, uh, reunion of the body and the soul. Now, the world doesn't believe this, and they prove it by how they treat their bodies. The world treats their body with no dignity, with no respect. They will shack up and use their bodies as a means for pleasure. They abuse the body in gluttony and addiction and whatever other thing. And then they toss the body out like an old pair of shoes. They treat it like something old that is to be disposed of like any other corpse. Or they'll incinerate it and dispose of it. And the reason is because to them, to the world who invented this, the body is temporary and has no value. But we Christians know that the body is not temporary. The bo- your body right now, the one you're sitting in right now, is not temporary. And it has value. So the world treats the body with contempt and we ought to fight this trend. We ought to maintain the dignity of the body in life and in death. That the body is sacred and good and it's worthy of respect. And so we should put a lot more thought into the day of our death. I'm saying that we need to prepare for our own funerals. And we should see to it that we're buried in a Christian cemetery. Uh, don't, don't make excuses for this. <clears throat> I've heard them all, and I've heard people say I can't afford it, or they have an irrational fear of saying I'm afraid of this or that. But start preparing for it now while you're alive. Save up money now, make arrangements now. It's called putting your money where your mouth is. Do the best you can. And if you come up short, then we who are alive will help you. One of the rights and privileges of being a member of the Christian church is the right to a Christian burial. So no matter how we have to do it, we're going to make it happen. And, and I want to uh, emphasize that point that this is the normal way. This is the way we should uh, approach it and operate Now, I want to be clear here as well, as clear as I possibly can, because I know some may uh, not quite understand what I'm saying or twisted or or something of that nature. I'm not saying that uh, cremation hinders the resurrection. I'm not saying that Jesus can't raise you from the dead if this is the case. In fact, your body could be incinerated and scattered throughout the seven seas And the Lord still knows how to say to you, young man, I say to you, arise. So I'm not saying that anything you can do will hinder the resurrection of the body. But what I'm saying is that it can hinder your clear confession in the resurrection of the body. When it comes to confessing your faith, even in death, you want to make it as clear as possible to all who are alive that everyone knows that you believe in the resurrection of the dead. Pagans destroy the body because it doesn't matter. 
but we do the opposite. We want, to send, we want to treat it gently and with respect and dignity, and we want to send one final and lasting message to everyone that the body you have right now was knit together by the Lord in your mother's womb, that it was fearfully and wonderfully made. It was baptized and washed and fed and forgiven, was dwelt in by God, was made a temple of the Holy Spirit, and that this body you see go into the grave will one day stand on top of that grave and it will rise and it will conquer death like Jesus did. And the best way we do this is with a Christian funeral and burial. We want to make it as clear as possible. Now, one more thing about this and then I'll close. <clears throat> when it comes to our funerals, uh, we need to be mindful and deliberate about what we sing at our funerals. I know it's a touchy subject, and the whole thing, the whole sermon is a touchy subject, uh, but I know hymns especially, uh, they're very touchy because there's a lot of emotions involved, but I want you to be mindful of what is being sung. And as a rule of thumb, thumb <clears throat> if the hymns you pick to be sung at your funeral can be sung by uh, Aretha Franklin, <laughs> or a country music star, or a pop star, or whatever, uh, anybody else, at anybody's funeral, regardless of whether they were a Christian or not, that's probably a good indication that it's not a very good hymn. It means it's probably bland and generic and empty. Uh, if anybody can sing it, then it doesn't say much. Instead of this, we pick hymns that are good and substantial and clear, and we pick them not because of how they sound, but because of what they say, because of what they confess. In, in my short life, I've realized a very simple truth, and, it, and it's this, that it turns out that the more complicated a hymn is, the more difficult it is to sing, the more effort you have to put into learning it, the deeper and more comforting it is in the long run. The obscure hymns in the hymnal that, that you may not know are the hardest, the ones that are the hardest to sing are always the ones that have the most beautiful things to say, hands down. I, and, and I want to prove this to you. Uh, just consider the hymn. It's 759 in the hymnal. Uh, it's called This Body in the Grave We Lay. It was written about 500 years ago, um, and it was written to be sung at funerals. And I'll just read this. <clears throat> It says, this body in the grave we lay, there to await that solemn day, when God himself shall bid it rise to mount triumphant to the skies. And so to earth we now entrust what came from dust and turns to dust. And from the dust shall rise that day in glorious triumph over decay. The soul forever lives with God who freely hath his grace bestowed and through his son redeemed it here from every sin, from every fear. All trials and all griefs are past. A blessed end has come at last. Christ's yoke was born with ready will who dieth thus is living still. We have no cause to mourn or weep. Securely shall this body sleep till Christ himself shall death destroy and raise the blessed dead to joy. Then let us leave this place of rest and homeward turn, for they are blessed who heed God's warning and prepare, lest death should find them unaware. 
So help us, Jesus, ground of faith. Thou hast redeemed us by thy death from endless death and set us free. We laud and praise and worship thee. Genuine Lutheran hymns are awesome and they are beautiful and they are sturdy and they are steadfast and they stand the test of time and they confess the truth and they bring true and lasting comfort. All right. Well, I will close this sermon by saying this, that I want you to keep in mind that your funeral is approaching and that it may be sooner than you realize. So don't delay on thinking about this or preparing. But don't be afraid. Because Jesus raised the widow's son, and one day he will raise you. And you too will conquer death. You have been purchased and redeemed by the Lord who bled out for you, who saved you from sin, from death, from the power of the devil. So don't be afraid for a second. Rejoice that your funeral will be about the Lord who loved you and saved you from death. Make a good and clear confession about the resurrection and make every effort to draw away your heart from all the vain and empty and baseless pleasures in this life, in this world that call for you. This fool's gold, it brings no lasting pleasure. Let this world and everyone in it know that you are not of this world, that you don't belong here. You are different. You have, called, you have been called to live a holy life in your body and to die a holy and blessed death. So turn your eyes to Christ and don't fear and rejoice because the one who rules over you is the one who died for you, who will call you out of the grave. He's the one who loves you, who forgives you, and will rescue you from death. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.